February 23rd, 2022. I want to talk to you tonight, the class, either, t- either titled The Peace of Heaven in the Hands of Man or Holding a Peace of Heaven, something along those lines. I'd obviously already be referring to holding the Luchot, which are Ma'ase Elohim, certainly the first Luchot. So that's the trigger for envisioning where I want to go and what I want to develop in this class, building it around that vision, that picture of Moshe Rabbeinu coming down with the Luchot, what that meant. I don't want to specifically focus on the first Luchot, as perhaps we did a bit last week. I want to focus more on the second Luchot. And as we mentioned last week, the difference between first Luchot and second Luchot was fundamental. It wasn't just a second chance. It was different. There was a different approach with regards to a relationship with God. Uh, whereas the first Luchot was this overwhelming experience, the handiwork of God, almost suspending the ability to have freedom of choice, the description of the Torah, and you can only imagine it in your own way, God's overwhelming presence, how are you going to do anything, quote-unquote, out of that straight line? Second Luchot is handed over to a human being to chisel them, to craft them, the pesolecha, it already invites, and we discussed this, an understanding of something changing with regards to that relationship. It provides the healthy, appropriate space. I'd like to drill home that part a little bit more this week with regards to envisioning this new relationship, this call it new berit with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with the second Luchot, and trying to see it through, first, the life of Moshe, as Parashat Kitisa, last week's parasha presents it, and then, well, you'll see the spin we'll, we'll have on it going forward. So first and foremost, if you take a look at the first source, it's from the end of Parashat Kitisa, Shemot Perek Lamedalet, Pasuk Kaftet, Pasuk Lamed He. And I want to just read the Pesukim, understand them, and then dissect them just a bit. Vahi Beredet Moshe Mehar Sinai, Ushnei Luchot Ha'idut Beyad Moshe, Beredetom Minahar, Moshe Lo Yada'a, it's a description of Moshe descending, coming down from the mountain. He doesn't realize kikaran or panav. Karan over here not being a horn, a, uh, a keren, which of course the Christians and other non-Jews for long or even till today believe we have as adherence to Torah mitzvot. But rather karan lehakrin also means to beam. So there's this beaming light, or this beaming, his skin is beaming light. Why did that happen, says the Pasuk? He has this conversation with God, Moshe does, and as a result, uh, he therefore has this radiating face. All right, that's the description. It's already, in my opinion, a fascinating description. It sounds, and it maybe should be taken as this physically vision, uh, physically uh, um, a perceptible vision, and you look at him and he's literally beaming light. So Aharon, the rest of Am Yisrael realize, they see, oh my goodness, he's radiating light. As a result, they fear coming closer to him. It makes a lot of sense. If you saw a person whose skin was beaming light, you'd probably be fearful as well. Maybe more than just it's out of the ordinary. Maybe they perceived the radiance of, so to speak, God's light. Anyway, the Pesukim continue. And this is a graphic description in the Torah. Vayikra alehem Moshe, vayashuvu elav aharon v'chol hanesiim ba'edah, vaydaber Moshe alehem. Moshe summons them forward. Yeah, 
wants to speak with them, and they come to him. And after the important, distinguished individuals, the rest of Bnei Israel comes forward. And as a result, or therefore, in that circumstance, Moshe has the opportunity to teach them that which God commanded him. Now the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin describes exactly how Moshe then taught the people, but for our purposes, it says, okay, so you have this radiating face, he came down from Har Sinai, second luchot in his hand, and he's now teaching B'nai Israel. I will remind you for just a moment that this is a description of second luchot. First luchot, we have no such description of his radiating face. Now certainly he comes down, he's a little agitated, it's not the opportunity to notice or for him to necessarily be uh, radiating and beaming that light, but there is something to be said for the fact that this is only after second luchot. It's a description of circumstance and consequence of second luchot. He finishes speaking to them and he places on his face, we'll translate masve as a mask. Says the Pasuk, as Moshe goes to speak to God, as he convenes in moments of prophecy, he takes off that mask. When he returns to speak to Am Yisrael, to instruct them, he puts it back on. That's the description. The people then see the face of Moshe, which is what we're talking about after all. You told me, and they are noticing, they appreciate that his face is radiating light. Moshe again would place that mask back onto his face until he'd again have this conversation. Ironically, maybe not so ironically, panim el panim is the description of Moshe's conversation with God. We read about that in Parashat Be'alotecha. Almost literally, of course, God doesn't have a face, but Moshe took off his mask to speak with God. That's the description. Mysterious, no doubt. I won't crack the full mystery as to what this radiating, beaming light coming from Moshe's face is about, but I will hone in on one or two details which I think will give a little bit of the under underlying message over here. So first and foremost, that Karan means beaming, radiating, lehakrin, not milashon keren, a crown. That was, uh, excuse me, a, a, a horn or a crown. No, that's, it's, 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 it's light which is coming off. That's, that's, the, that's the standard interpretation. Unless you're, you know, what, who was it, Michelangelo? Unless you're Michelangelo or others, uh, there are some out-of-the-ordinary perushim who suggest that it's actual uh, horns, even, uh, I don't want to call it in the tradition, but even in the fold, yeah, it, it, the, the simple interpretation, the standard and traditional one is that he's radiating light. Now, that all being the case, and I'll take it even a step further just with regards to that, keep in mind, it's the face of Moshe, which is the issue. If it means horns, are the horns coming out of his face? I mean, if they're on top of his head, you're not really going to describe that as his face. Simuchin lekach, that we're referring to, hakranat, or with an aleph, on the or with an ayin of Moshe's face. Well, that being the case, I want to just for a moment notice and realize and call attention to the fact that we're dealing with the face of Moshe. And you might say, ah, it's the face. The face of Moshe and the inability or the danger, the fear of looking at his face, 
For me, if you're sensitive to the narrative in Parashat Kitisa, that raises an alarm. You have to notice something there. We already had the will, the passion to see the face of divinity and the shutdown. It was Moshe. Moshe earlier in Perik Lamed Gimal, Pasuk Kaf, and then Pasuk Kaf Gimal, turned to God and said to him, can you show me your glory? Can you, sh- can you reveal to me your ways? And God responds to him first in Pasuk Kaf, second source, et panai. God says to him, you can't see my face. Of course, God doesn't have a physical face. But the scripture, whatever face is representative of, the essence of God, so to speak, you can't see that. Okay? And then, three pesukim later, three sentences later, God says, and listen, I'll reveal to you something. However, I'll, I'll, I'll remove my, the palm of my hand, of course God doesn't have palm of hand, this is all in riddles and prophetic understandings. You'll see my back, he doesn't have a physical back, but you won't see my face. That to me already is, is, is just fascinating. It means that the description of what Am Yisrael are having difficulty with, with regards to Moshe, is looking at his face. And he has to wear that mask. Well, we've seen that already with not a human being, but rather God. To get the direction I'm going in, the direction I'm going in over here is that Moshe is not actually taking the place of God, but Moshe, after second Luhot, has moved in for the people as a God-like figure and individual. Now, there's a danger certainly inherent in that vision, but it makes a lot of sense as well. The second Luhot were God, if you recall, turning to us as human beings, turning to Moshe initially, can you craft this? Can you be a part of this? Well, he comes down and, hey, he's a big part of this. He just partnered with God. We have difficulty now looking at his face the same way we have difficulty and it's impossible to look at the face of God. A step further in that direction. If you recall, the Pesukim described how people feared coming close to him. Early on, the second line in that first source, it says, Vaikra lehim Moshe, Moshe called them, he summoned them forward. Vayashuvu elav, they come, they return to him, Aharon, Cholanisim ba'ida. There's almost a hierarchy. First Aharon comes, then the Nisim, and then the Pasuk says, then B'nai Israel. If again, you're sensitive to the kiriot we've had in recent weeks, in Parashat Yitro, and then again at the end of Parashat Mishpatim, Perikaftalit of Shemot, there's a description of the hierarchy of who got to encamp on the mountain on Har Sinai. Of course, Moshe got to go up, but you'll take a look at the third source. Don't be nervous, God. Nobody's going to trespass. Nobody will go onto the mountain. You told us to. Distance everyone. Distance everyone from t- touching the mountain. Go down, Moshe. But you can come up. But the Kohanim and the Am should stay down. Aharon has some stature up there. In Parashat Mishpatim, there's a description of Atzilei Ben Israel, the Shivim Zekenim. They had a little bit of a platform at some place on this mountain or in close proximity. Do you follow the similarity? Whereas Moshe, this time, is, so to speak, standing in as Har Sinai. There he is. He's the individual. He is almost embodying 
well, Torah, the manifestation of divinity over here. Now, I'm not saying he's divine. He's not. But I am saying he has just partnered with the divine. He has begun this new process. Whereas in the past, the process wasn't a process. Whereas with Luch, first Luchot, it was, here I am, overwhelming you as human beings. The second stage is, and Moshe being the paradigm, well, coming forth, partnering with God in this, making my own decisions, but ultimately speaking, carrying this forward almost as my own, as my own God creation in context. It's the Pesolecha. It truth, it might be already, it might be already hinted at in the will, although it's enigmatic as well, it's hard to understand as well, the will of the people. They say, Moshe Ha'ish Lo so they say when Moshe is missing and they turn to Aharon, they say, Moshe, Ha'ish, this human being. Why do they mention this human being? It's almost as if they want something else. In other words, they're overwhelmed by the circumstances. There's only God, and he's just a mortal human being. We hope, and I'm suggesting, not only our leader, but we have the ability to transcend to more than just Ish. In truth, the very end of the Torah, in Devarim Perek Lamed Gimal, the Pasuk describes Moshe as being Ish HaElohim. Isn't that the Pasuk? Regardless, the Pasuk says, at the end of the Torah, he's Ish HaElohim. He almost rises from just being an Ish to an Ish Elohim. If you'll just stick with me for a few more moments as we develop this further with regards again to what happened from first Luchot to second Luchot, a transition which was absolutely necessary. People in relationships need that ability to manifest ourselves. If it's all just receiving, if it's all just na'asev and ishma without an actual volition, if it's all as we described it, a kafa mahar kigigit, where human beings have no role over here, so there's no changing anything, or better yet, there's no creative capacity to human beings, well then we falter, then we don't know how to, or are not capable of developing something true and genuine and authentic. When alternatively, we're given that space, when it's a pesolich, when it's an opportunity for Moshe now to come down as a partner, not just as a tool, but as a partner in this process, well, that's a whole different vision of the second Berit with B'nai Israel post Heta Egel. Look at several uh, uh, Midrashim together with me. In source number four, it's in Sifre in Parashat Naso Ot Aleph. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai Omer, Bo Ure Makoch Avera Kasha. Okay, specifically, he says, look at how uh, detrimental uh, uh, severe sins are. Until Am Yisrael did Chet Egel, look at what the Pesukim described. Pasuk says that they were able to look at the top of the mountain. This is in Shemot, Perekaftali. They looked at the mountain, top of the mountain, and what was there? A consuming fire. But it means they saw it. Parenthetically, in Targum Yerushalmi, I mentioned it in one context on Shabbat, he suggests that's where the people went wrong. They're looking, the last vision you had is Moshe walked into fire. Uh, the guy's gone. That's potentially for 40 days they're panicking. That's possible they're building an agil for more than just a few seconds. Uh, so, but anyway, uh, ironically, the Midrash says, that's what they saw. They were able to look at it. What happens after Haita Egil, so to speak, says the Midrash? They couldn't look at something. What couldn't they look at? 
says the Midrash, Mishe Pashtu Yadam Ba'avera Mane Emar Bahim, Vayar Aharon, Bechobne Sayyot Moshe, Vehine Karano Orpana. They can't look. But it's not that they can't look at the fire of God at the top of the mountain. It's that they can't look at Moshe. Do you follow the description of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai? He's envisioning Moshe now as literally this partner of God. He took the place of Har Sinai. He took the place of the fire at the top of the mountain. Mid- Interesting. And he, closed, and, he, and he looks away from it. Which again makes a lot of sense. If you're envisioning, so to speak, getting close to divinity, of course you're going to look away from it, right? As, again, so it's almost as if we're not critical, but we're describing an immature state where they were able to see the fire at the top. But for my purposes, more than anything, it's a description of how Am Yisrael now have transitioned, uh, or better yet, they've transitioned in their appreciation and understanding of Moshe, no longer just. God, as though we could be God-like. Devarim Rabbah, in source number five, Isha Elohim, that's the pasuk I was telling you about. When Moshe went up to the heavens, he was just a human being. He's just a human being. He's compared to, to fires who are, who are fire, uh, excuse me, angels who are fire-like. When he comes down from the heavens, Elohim. Now, I'm suggesting it's not just that he went up to the heavens. It's that he comes down with his own tablets, so to speak. He literally got into this. It's the potential, it's the opportunity that each of us have to become Isha Elohim. We're seeing it through Moshe. He's the paradigm. He's the one we look at and we say, oh, that's, that's, that's the goal. That's the ambition. I even can't look at him. He rose to that level. Tanhuma, siman lamedzayin, sim parashat kitisa. Minayin Moshe lekarne hahod. How did Moshe achieve that radiance of glory? From the cave that he, so to speak, uh, experiences in this uh, encounter with God. He wants to see God's, quote, face. And God says to him, I'm going to go next to this cave and you'll be able to peer in and see something. From that, he comes away with a radiance of face. All right, that's an interesting perspective. As he's studying Torah with God, there's some sort of sparks which emanate and that's how he achieves it. Also interesting, certainly something along a similar lines. Verbi Shmuel bar Nachman Amar Haluchot or Kanchishat Vachim Rochban Shloshat Vachim. It's a description of the measurements of the luchot. Vehayam Moshe Mahazik Bishnet Vachim. Moshe held on to two fist sizes of these luchot. Hakadosh Baruch Hu Bishnet Vachim, and then the top two Tefachim you imagine is held on to by God. Utvachaim Revach Bayens, and then there were two Tefachim, two fist sizes in the middle. Yeah, what does it have to do? Misham Natal Moshe Karneahot. I love that statement. That statement is, you want to know how he got this radiance? By partnering. By partnering in what? In the Luchot. He's holding on to Luchot. God's holding on to Luchot. He chiseled the Luchot. God wrote on the Luchot. That second Luchot. That second involvement. That's relationship. Last statement, Rav Shemuel Amar, Adshem Moshe Kotev HaTorah, Nishtayir Bekulmus Kim'ah. He wrote the Torah afterwards. The Torah tells us about this. There was a little ink left over. That little ink is what gave him that radiance, so to speak. Similar description as well. He's writing the Torah of God, but he's writing it. He's the Safra Rabbah, as the Chachamim describe him. 
Each of these midrashim, I think, are making the identical point, each in their own way, with its particular, which is with its specific nuance. But the point is that second halt relationship brings forth the opportunity for us appropriately to rise up to Anshe Elohim. Now, certainly, we went wrong with this will and passion once long ago. Vitem Kelohim Yodei was not a good journey. For Adam and Chava to want to be like God was an act of rebellion. Here, it's an act of partnership. Here, it's, I've provided for you space. I want you to get into that with me. We mentioned it last week. We'll mention it again in this context before we, before we bring this a step forward. And, uh, uh, Nitziv, in his commentary, Ha'amek Davar, therefore compares first luchot to second luchot. And he says that one of the Geonim, which Ibn Ezra cites, says that the second luchot were greater than the first. Says the Ibn Ezra, it's ridiculous, it's ludicrous. The first ones were crafted by God, the second ones by Moshe, says Nitziv, that's the point. Second luchot gave the opportunity for our own expression. You can now be Doresh. You now have the opportunity, the responsibility to interpret it. Understand these, interpret them, find yourself in them. That's second luchot. That's not first luchot. Well, if this were the end of the class, I would leave you with a more sophisticated version of last week's class. Several more sources, a few more vantage points. But I think there's still yet more to be discovered and unpacked, and it goes like this. Even after Moshe, as that embodiment of second berit, goes forward and represents, well, there's room for us in this relationship, there's still a stunted growth reality. And the reason it's so is because, yes, God allowed for us to have space in this. He says to us, okay, you guys interpret the Torah, but you know something? Moshe is still there. And Moshe being there and radiating that light, it's so to speak, instead of God at the top of the mountain overwhelming us, just the imagery, it's Moshe holding the mountain over our heads. In other words, you're no longer overwhelmed by God, God's presence at Har Sinai. He says, oh, anyone could be involved over here. But now, it's Moshe. Now I can't look at the face of Moshe. Whereas at Har Sinai, I maybe had difficulty. I was nervous. I was overwhelmed. I didn't actually have the opportunity to, on my own volition, get into this, find myself and understand this on my own terms. Well, do you really now? Do you really have creative capacity? Because you have the person who transcended, who went up to the upper realms, who brought down, as I called it, a piece of heaven in his hands, and he's the one you're looking at, you for heaven's sake can't look in his face. You're really able to decide, now maybe a little bit more, maybe there's a sliver of, of freedom of choice, but not all that much. I'm convinced that's the Gemara Masechet Murah, which I called to attention once or twice in the past. That's the Gemara which says, in the days after the death of Moshe, thousands of halachot were forgotten, says the Gemara Zayin, until Otniel ben Knaz, we could discuss why him specifically on another occasion, Heheziran mitoch pilpulo. He then rediscovered them, or he then interpreted. Go ahead. Oh, which means to say, ironically, scary thought, but necessary understanding, the death of Moshe, the departure of Moshe, was a necessary component in our national and individual growth. Had Moshe always been present, it would have been a Har Sinai existence. It would have been an existence in which we had a very diminished freedom of choice. 
Pahad Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak Hutner, in his book on Hanukkah, in source number nine, Ma'amar Gimal Od Gimal, makes this point exactly. He makes it in two, two stages. His first stage is that the rabbis in Masechet Eruvin on Daf Nundalit uh, talk about how Moshe, uh, before smashing the Luchot, Torah would not be forgotten. Not to be taken too literally, but the idea being, Torah was static. If you don't forget, you're not creative. If everything's stuck in your mind, you can't really get past it. Aside from all the anxiety that comes attached to it, imagine not being able to forget everything that went wrong, I mean, or even went right, but you have regret on how you did it, whatever, in the past. Forgetfulness is a necessary component. Smashing the Luchot, he's praised for. Great job. Why so? Says Rav because sometimes the Fa'amim, sometimes by annulling, you give the opportunity for it to be fresh, to be rebuilt, to be sustained. He goes a step further. He quotes our Gemara Masechet Temura. He says, that's the death of Moshe as well. It's a scary, it's a scary realization because it kind of taps into each of our own lives and our own positions and authority in any and every context, it means that as much authority and involvement we have in anything that we are involved with, there's a certain aspect of we will come to, hopefully, if we're successful, the point at which we'll have to move out and allow for the continued growth. It's, I say it in the context of children all the time. Your involvement as a parent is necessary, almost an overwhelming involvement at times with an appropriate space. There needs to be the appropriate moment in every social and developmental aspect and realm of moving back so that they can spread their wings. If they can't, Riding a bike, have I brought that example? Or uh, we, we, we know that example. That's right, if you can't, I just spent, on winter break, I spent a, a good day huffing and puffing down the block in, in Florida with my daughter. The most amazing thing is everybody loves it. Everybody, especially in Florida, it's a different crowd. They all smiled, they all cheered her on, they gave her like the After 20 minutes, it's hard to inspire. You, any, any, anyone, you're just huffing and puffing and they can't seem to get it right. Anyway, she got it, but that's right. And there's so much for her and for them vulnerability as you let go, but they need it. If you don't let go, they never learn how to ride the bike. So the ironic, painful reality is such that Moshe could not remain with us forever. We needed his death, we needed the forgetfulness, and we needed then our ability with our own pilpul, with Otniel ben Knaz beginning it, to then understand on our own. Both. Both. Because there's a general understanding which we've developed of reality being revealed to Moshe, meaning with the Torah. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that it was static then. If we say Shivim Panim La Torah, it means that the ultimate capacity for potential of understanding and discovery of God was handed over to him. Does that mean that it was expressed by him? Certainly not. So when I say rediscover, when you use the word rediscover, it's rediscovered. It doesn't mean it was ever actualized, but it means it was there. It means if I accept that Torah embodies all potential, if it is all, so to speak, in terms of existence, so it was there, but it hasn't been brought out. You know, if, if someone has it in their mind, in the recesses of their mind, but it's never been expressed, never come actually to their mind, so yeah, I'm kind of re-accessing it, but it was never there. It was just in, quote, the subconscious. That's why I'm okay with the word hehaziran bepilpulo in the Gemara. It's still novel. And it was still never expressed, but it was there, it was there in potential. All that being the case, here's, here's the vantage point forward. The vantage point forward is uh, to, to envision the following. 
The question is, anytime there's these strong messages that are almost implicit in the Torah, and not explicit as much in, in these sorts of situations, I always find there's some sort of analog, or I often find some sort of analog in the world of the Hachamim, which means to say they'll envision the lives of some of their counterparts as almost embodying a personality from the Torah. If you're a strong mystic, you'll use the words almost Gilgul, or you'll, you'll envision this as the same nature of life. You'll say they had that spark of nishama of the earlier individual. And so as a result, when you kind of envision it and develop it in that fashion, you're able to then understand, ironically, the Torah better. In other words, the Torah Shebikhtav. You look at the story the rabbis are telling you about this individual, about that one, and then you're able to say, oh, this is embodying, so to speak, who that individual is. One that if I read the way the rabbis describe this person, I'll then be able to tap backwards. So if you don't understand what I mean, well, here's what I'm going to do. The Midrash in source number 10, 10, in a word, we'll read it inside in a second, says that Rabbi Eliezer, Beliezer's name was Beliezer ben Hurkanus. There were several Beliezer. Beliezer Hagadol, Beliezer ben Hurkanus. It was the Beliezer who was the rabbi of Rabbi Akiva. So as the Midrash, he was the will for Moshe to continue his mission. Says the Midrash, Rabbi Ahab, Shem Rabbi Hanina, Amar, Bishash, Allah, Moshe, the Maron. We're used to those words in discovering Rabbi Akiva. Listen to the Midrash and then realize how different Rabbi Akiva is than his rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer. Shamak Koloshel Akadosh Parachushi Yoshev Veosek, it should say Parashat Paraduma. He hears, so to speak, the sound, the voice of God, and God's enveloped and uh, involved in the Sugya Paraduma. Okay, we could give reason for that another time. He's telling the law in the name. Of its, uh, of its developer. God is stating the halacha in the name of Rabbi Eliezer. A little anachronistic. It's Moshe, Rabbi Eliezer's in the future. God's talking about it. What's the point of the Midrash? Well, let's go forward. Amar lefanav, Moshe says to God, it should say, ha'olamim, yihiratzon shihem halatzi. I hope this one will come out of my loins. I hope this will be my descendant. Says God, you're right. He will be. After all, your child will be Eliezer. So to speak, envisioning Rabbi Eliezer as continuing the mission of Moshe. Well, we all continue the mission of Moshe. We all study Torah, don't we? Rabbi Akiva did as well. Rabbi Eliezer is the continuer of Moshe. In fact, listen to the difference between this Midrash and the one we often quote from Asif and Menachot and Davkavtet. Over there, God finds, or excuse me, Moshe finds God putting the crowns on the letters, wants to know, Mime Akiva Ali Atcha, why are you doing so? Shows him Rabbi Akiva, he doesn't understand what Rabbi Akiva is doing, doesn't understand it. And until he hears, Al-Khal Moshe Misinai, and he says, why are you giving the Torah from me? Why are you giving it from Rabbi Akiva? God says, this is the way I want it. Do you understand the difference over there? Over there, Moshe doesn't understand what Rabbi Akiva is talking Rabbi Akiva is, so to speak, disconnected from the direct realm of Moshe. He's dealing with the crowns of the letters, not dealing with the letters themselves. Rabbi Eliezer is right on page with Moshe. Rabbi Eliezer is, so to speak, being Doresh the letters. Moshe has no difficulty of comprehension, which means to say the personality, so to speak, of Rabbi Eliezer from this Midrash already is in some way associated with Moshe, is it not? That's the way it's stated. Rabbi Akiva is kind of second generation, interpreting beyond maybe tapping into what was really concealed in the initial message, but Rabbi Akiva is, is a different domain. 
Beliezer, one of his rabbis, is like that. In truth, the Mishnah in Perkevot and Perik Bet Mishnah Hayat describes how Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai had many students, five primary ones, and he talked about the Shevach, the greatness of each one of them. What was Rabbi ben Hurkanus's Shevach? What did Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai say about him? He's a Borsid or Borsud, Abed Tipa, which means to say he's a, a pit which has in it cement, and as a result, the water is never lost. It never seeps into the walls, which means he never forgot anything. That's the personality of Moshe. We needed the death of Moshe to bring forgetfulness, remember? We needed Moshe's death, and then we forgot, and then we brought it back. Rabbi Eliezer is very... He's the guy in the synagogue screaming about Safe, talking about the way we did it in the old country, not allowing for people to dress or act differently in this generation, not allowing for new interpretations, new languages that describe what reality is. That's Rabbi Eliezer, very much attached to the Moshe mode of thought. Let me take you a step further before I even reach source number 12. The Gemara Masechet describes Rabbi Eliezer proclaiming about himself many of the things he did right in life. One of them was, Lo amarti mi amai, I never said in my lifetime, davar, a matter which I didn't hear from my rabbis. Eliezer. Eliezer doesn't fear. Eliezer is the Moshe model. What's Moshe? Moshe brings the Torah, brings the Luchot. Yes, there's a creative capacity, but ultimately speaking, what's Moshe? He takes the Torah and he brings it from the heavens to us. Who's Rabbi Eliezer? I'm holding on to that Torah. Let me prove it to you further, or suggest it to you further. Pasuk says, Ulechol Hayad, it should not say Shemot Lamedal, it should say Devarim Lamedal. It's the very last Pasuk in the Torah. Ulechol Hayad Ha Hazaka, Ulechol Hamora Hagadol, Asher Asa Moshe Le'ene Kol Yisrael. It's talking about the greatness of Moshe. Lots of hard words to to break down. What's the great hand or the strong hand of Moshe? I got a strong hand. Physically? Maybe, says Rashi, He received the Torah in Luchot in his hands. In truth, the Pesukim made a point of that. And source number one, the first Pesuk, he's holding them. So, so to speak, the description of him coming down, holding the Luchot. The last thing we say, remember that Moshe? You know who he was? He's the one who held the Luchot. Remember we saw the other Midrash, it said he held on to the Luchot and God held on to the Luchot. The hands of Moshe and the Luchot are very critical. You want to know why they're very critical? So they describe his partnership. They describe how he held on to the Luchot. He brought it down. He gave it over to us. The Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin Daf Samechet Amudalif describes the tragic end of the life of Bili Ezer. Bili Ezer ben Hurkanus, the same one we've been talking about. The student of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai, the rabbi of Rabbi Akiva. Now it's interesting and we'll read about it in the last source very briefly he was excommunicated in his life. We'll talk about why. So at the end of his life, as he's suffering his ultimate demise and death, his students and others come to visit him and they have to sit for a four amot, six feet away from him because he's excommunicated. And then, as they're listening to him and he's rebuking them subtly, he says the following in the, in the middle of the first line, Natal aliboy. He takes his two hands and he places, or two arms, places them on his heart. Amar, he says about his hands, Oy lachem otai, My two hands are like two sifre Torah, which are now being folded up. Sound familiar? The hands, the luchot, the Torah, Moshe, Rabbi Harbe Torah lamadti, varbe Torah limadti. I learned much Torah, I taught much Torah, and he continues and elaborates on that point. Says the Gemara Masechet Totan, Daf Memtet Amudve, Tanur Rabbanam, Mishemet Rabbi You want to know the death of each one of the important Tanaim was significant. The death of 
Rabbi Eliezer, Nignaz, it was almost as if we stored away, we lost Sefer Torah. Why Sefer Torah? Says Rashi, He had the Safeh, he had the tradition, he brought it down, he was the Moshe. Moshe wanted him to be him, says the Midrash. Everybody looked at Rabbi Eliezer and who'd they see? They saw Moshe. The opinion in Talmud Yerushalmi is that the reason Rabbi Eliezer in many places in Talmud is known as Shamuti. It was known as Shamuti, which is a hard word to translate, is because he was an adherent of Bet Shammai. Bet Shammai and his name and Shamuti have in it that name Sham, almost reminiscent of Shamayim. It's a vision of, in fact, Bet Shammai, who disagreed with Bet Ileus in the Dafyomi last week, just recently. Uh, the, their vision is that the world was created in fashion that the heavens first and only then the earth. Bet Ileus, the earth and then the heavens. Do you understand the difference between those two? It's a difference between do I envision vision God's presence first and foremost and then my involvement, they're both necessary, or do I first see my primary involvement, my creative capacity, and then attaching to God? It sounds like semantics, but it's very different vantage points of how to envision my life, how to see what I'm doing as a human being, which have many ramifications in their personalities. Rabili Ayazer makes a lot of sense. He's the Bet Shammai. He's that Shamuti. He's the Shammai in personality. He's like Moshe. In truth, Moshe's personality just in terms of if you ever envision who Bet Shammai were, the strict letter of the law people, that Midat Tadin, Moshe, the Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin, that we learned had a different way than Aharon. He would say, Yikob Adin this is the law, that's what you're going to do. Aharon, Ohev Shalom, Verodev Shalom, almost an Aharon personality. Moshe, Bili Ezer, Bili Ezer, like Moshe, to the extent that the Gemara, the Gemara in Masechet Berachot and Davzayin Amudal, listen to this Gemara, I hope you'll I hope you buy this from me. 16 and 17, Gemaran Berachot Navzain and then Dafnun Zain Amudalf. This I don't know. If this is my own creativity at its best. Says the Gemara Masech Berachot, when the Pasuk says that God says to Moshe, you'll see my back, but you won't see my face. Remember that? Says the Gemara, you want to know what? So to speak. In this prophetic vision Moshe sees, he sees the back of Moshe and he sees the knot of tefillin on the back of, Mo- of God. Does God have tefillin? Well, the Gemara describes them, not to be taken literally. Uh, the, what does it mean he sees the back and the knot? Not fully interpreted, but what I do understand well, is... Along those same lines. Interesting. Interesting. But on this point, on the t- and that's what you're saying, interesting, but let me take it in a little bit of different, I'm mean, going to end the same place, just different direction. So you're seeing the back of the tefillin. Why not? You can't see the front. You cannot see the front of the tefillin of God, so to speak. Can't see his face. Says Rabbi Ezer, who? Our guy. Rabbi Ezer Gadol. Rabbi Ezer ben Hurkanus. In Gemara, Masechet Berachot, Dafnun Zayin Amudal. The Pasuk says, V'ra'u kol Adonai nikra alecha. People, the entire nations of the world are going to see that the name of God is, cried upon, is called upon you and they're going to fear you. That's what the Pasuk says. They're going to fear you. Fear looking at you, it appears. Says Abilias, you want to know why? Because you're wearing tefillin shel rosh. So to speak, you will embody the panim of God. 
That was what we saw in Moshe, was it not? That's the Moshe personality. He embodies that face of God and then people can't look at him. He partnered to the extent that he brings that Torah down and then he's the walking Torah. That's the Rebili Ezra as well. Rebili Ezra says, that's who we all are, isn't it? That's what my claim to fame. I don't forget anything. Moshe personality. I brought the Torah and I presented it. A God-like document. You're going to include something? I don't say anything that I didn't hear from my rabbis. The tefillin, my face, just like your face, can become like the face of God. Nobody's going to be able to look at it. You're going to have to be walking around, so to speak, with a mask. To the extent that maybe now you'll have a new perspective on a well-known midrash in Masech Bava Metzian Dafnun Teta Mudbet. The midrash describes, it begins with a halachic debate between Rebili Ezer, our man, and the Chachamim. It's about what's called Tanur Shel Achnai. It's a question in Tumah V'Tahara with regards to a specific circumstance where a specific type of oven is broken and then rebuilt, does it have the status of mekabel tumah or not? Not our issue right now as to the specifics. The hachamim say tameh, and Rebili Ezer says tahor. That's the important part. Says Rebili Ezer in the well-known Midrash, if the halacha is like me, I'll bring you miracle after miracle after miracle to prove my point. And as he performs each miracle, what sort of miracle? Well, he has the river run in the other direction. He has the tree, the haruv tree, move. And each time he says, if the halacha is like me, it'll do that. And that's what happens. The Bet Midrash will fall down. It's starting to crumble. If the halacha is like me, it'll be Hoshua, his counterpart, stops the walls from crumbling, and they'll stay, they stay slanted. And because of Rabbi Eliezer, it comes to its crux when Rabbi Eliezer says, If the halacha is like me, a batkol, a heavenly voice, will come out and say that the halacha is like me. And indeed it happens. The heavenly voice comes out and says, What are you involved with Eliezer? The heavenly voice. Why would the heavenly voice say the halacha is like Eliezer? Isn't the halacha like Moshe? Isn't the halacha like Moshe Misinai? And that's indeed the claim. That's what comes out. And Bioshua Ahmad al Raglav says, Bioshua says, I'm sorry, I won't accept it. Lo the Torah is not in the heavens. And immediately they excommunicate not immediately. Shortly after the excommunicator of Eliezer, you follow what that stage of development in the life of Eliezer is. Ironically, sadly, that's the death. That's the Moshe death. Remember, the Torah got static in the life of Moshe. I know we gave some space, we explained. Second, Luchot, your involvement. But Moshe moves in. Moshe now, so to speak, is that beaming God. Rabbi Eliezer, do you realize what he's doing to our capability to interpret? His claim to fame is he doesn't forget anything. Well, what are we going to do now? You can't forget. In the yeshivas, they say it in Yiddish. The greater the greater the mehadesh, the better forgetful you are, the more forgetful you are. Right? Words, the more you forgot what I said yesterday, the more novel it is when I say it again today. I forgot that I said it yesterday, so it's now novel. So you need to forget. Eliezer doesn't forget anything. Eliezer doesn't say anything that didn't need from his rabbis. Eliezer is this personality who literally is using the heavens to say halachas like him. Static. There's no development. There's nothing any longer. We need that forgetfulness. We need to excommunicate him. We need to say, Lo The same way it is and was necessary in the beginning of this development. We had an initial stage, just bring it full circle, an initial stage of Ma'amad Harsinai. God overwhelms us with his presence. The relationship is so overwhelming that it's not a relationship. We're not able to have our part in it. So he scales it back and he allows for our involvement. But Moshe takes over. Not, not willingly, but Moshe takes over. He comes down, Karan or Panav. 
the, 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 that kid of Od Panav, that, that ability to be radiating the light, as we explained from several parallels, is that analog to God's presence. So he's now the God-man, so to speak. He brings Luchot, which you can't dispute. But now there's forgetfulness, but not really. But now we can interpret. But not really. Yeah, you have 13 mitoshat Torah Not really moving all that much. You want to know why? Because as the Gemara describes, Moshe's standing in the middle. He's sitting in the middle and he's teaching it. You're really disputing it? Yeah, but he forgets something. Yeah, once in a while. There's not all that much wiggle room. The, the relationship got very static again. So as the Gemara and Temura, we needed the tragic but necessary death of Moshe. That's what brings forth uh, the d- dynamic side. That's what brings forth the halichot alam no, the ability for it then to develop and express itself differently in an appropriate way for the generation. As Rav Hutner made clear to us, the analog is the storyline of Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer, who, so to speak, quote unquote, Moshe wills as his descendant, and indeed he is so different then, I will add and conclude Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is the next generation. Rabbi Akiva is the analog to Otniel ben Knaz so to speak. Rabbi Akiva is the one who comes along and he's Doresh, and he's Doresh, and so to speak, say the rabbis, Moshe doesn't know what he's talking about. Of course, anachronistic, out of time, out of space, I don't know what he's talking about, but that's the continuity, that's the health over there, that's the space. What's that? Important question. Why doesn't, says, says Mars, why doesn't the response in Masechet Menachot and Davkavtet, when Moshe says, why isn't the Torah given by Rabbi Akiva, God responds, Shetok, be quiet. So the simple answer, just for now, the simple answer is, this is the way the relationships go. You might ask the wording another time. This is the way relationships work. Relationships work, again, father, parent-child. It begins with that overwhelming involvement. It begins with, I really expose myself to you and I set you straight. Torah begins with Moshe. It can't start with that space, the space you grow into. In fact, that's the way the Mekubalim, but others describe this Doresh the Kutzim, the Tagim of the Otiot, Biakiva finding in the crown. They describe it as Moshe, and it comes back to a point I was saying to Joe earlier, Moshe comes down and he speaks all this. He doesn't really know where it's found in every word, per se. He furthermore doesn't necessarily, I mean, he's speaking truths, but he didn't know about iPhones. So his truth had no relevancy to how an iPhone works. Uh, does that mean that it wasn't embedded in the absolute potential of Torah, how iPhones work, and what the halakhic ramifications are? Of course it was. And that's, that's what we have in halakha today. That was the Akiva, the ability to branch off. But if you get stuck in that mode and method of Moshe, if it's the Rabili Ezer, which again is a necessary component as well, you needed a Rabili Ezer. You needed a Rabili Ezer. You needed a Akiva to have a teacher whose name was Rabili Ezer. You needed that individual to continue the Masorit, to teach it and to state. Ironically, there are circumstances, and that's what I mean by the little wiggle room. There are circumstances where Rabbi Isaac disagrees with his rabbi. It's very rare, but he said he never does. Everyone gets nervous. Rav Cook gets nervous. Others get nervous. I thought he can't disagree with his rabbi. That, for me, is, is the Moshe after Ma'amad Har Sinai. There's a little wiggle room. You crafted your own luchot. Not really moving away, but there's a little exposure of yourself in this, but not much. 
That's Rabbi as a personality. The Loba Shamaim ending is the ira- is is the tragic but necessary death of Moshe. It's the Bitula Zohi Kiyuma. It's for us the understanding that in our own relationship separation, understanding that holding heaven, so to speak, in our hands at all times could and it's a scary and a scary thought if you don't fully understand it could be unhealthy. That overburdening, overwhelming exposure and involvement in any relationship, and certainly with God, is unhealthy because you'll lose your own self in it. The opportunity for you to express yourself, to find yourself, to appreciate what it is and who it is that you are and want to be is only found after the initial after the reception of the Torah at Ma'amad Har Sinai time one, after we then scale it back with time two, it's then the ultimate death of Moshe, the excommunication of Bili Ezer, which ensures the continuity of a living Torah. Baruch Adonai Le'alam. Amen, amen.